0: It was June the third, two thousand seven. Do the math. How old were you on June the third, two thousand seven? I think about that. I was, I was forty years old. What's significant about that date? Well, it was on June the third, two thousand seven, that I stood in front of you as a church and asked you to open your Bibles to Psalm one. And you believe it's been that many years ago. There's probably some people that are watching today that would say, I was here that Sunday. In fact, I've been here every Sunday that you have invited us to open our Bibles to Psalms. Uh, Every summer since 2007, except for, I believe, three summers, we have traveled together through what we have called the Songs of Summer. And it has been a delight for us. And in many ways, I think that even getting to this point uh, in June of 2020, there's a little bit of a feel that that's like coming home in a way. It, it feels like that's what we do in the summer. So it is with great delight that I ask you to open your Bibles to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. We have taken about eight psalms each summer, just one right after the other, picking up where we left off the summer before, and just working through to see what this hymn book of God's Word has to say to our heart. And it has been exciting to see what God has revealed to us about Himself, how He has encouraged us with the psalms, and I'm excited to be back in psalms again with you today when the summer's over lord willing uh, we will have completed psalm 75 and that would put us as you know halfway through the book of psalms and one day we will unless the lord returns or he has some other plan uh, we will be able to say together open our bibles to psalm 150 and look forward to that sunday when it comes Today, when we look at Psalm 68, I want to speak to you about how to trust your enemies. Now, that's a strange phrase because enemies are people that we would think, wait, trust enemies? Do you put those in the same sentence? Well, I want to talk to you about uh, how to trust your enemies. And what I want you to show from, to show you from Psalm 68 is this. We trust our enemies to someone we trust our enemies to God and that's what I want to unfold and unpack from Psalm 68 today is it possible that over the last three months that you have become aware of some new enemies Uh, maybe over these last three months you haven't become aware of some new enemies but you have uh, become aware of some old enemies that have kind of climbed back into your life. When I use the word enemy, what comes to mind? Do you see a face? Uh, Do you see a temptation? Do you see a temptation? Uh, Do you see um, a battle? Uh, What do you see? Is it Someone or is it something? Well, when we talk about enemies, the Bible talks to us about enemies. We, we know that we're instructed by Jesus in the New Testament that we're to pray for our enemies. But we also learn in Ephesians chapter 6 that when we wrestle against our enemies, that we aren't wrestling against flesh and blood but we wrestle against powers and principalities. And so today, when we think about enemies, I, I'm not thinking so much about um, a face or even a, a, an emotion as I'm thinking about what is it that we're, what, what we wrestle against as in, in, the, in the heavenlies. What are those powers and principalities that we wrestle against an enemy is the opposition an enemy is something that stands opposed to us that tries to destroy us that tries to go against us that tries to defeat us and sometimes that enemy does come through in uh, a person or a system or it comes through in a temptation well What we see in Psalm 68 is that God wins against our enemies. When you look at Psalm 68, I would ask this question. What kind of psalm is it? Uh, Well, I would say to you, according to uh, studying this psalm and in agreement with other uh, writers about this psalm, we could say very simply that Psalm 68 is a hard psalm. It is a hard one. In fact, I was so encouraged this week when I opened up a commentator writing about Psalm 68, a description that he gave right at the very beginning when he said, Psalm 68 is the most difficult psalm to interpret of all the psalms. And I thought, awesome. I mean, it's 2020. It's summer of 2020. Why would we expect there to be an easy psalm? that would show up for us. We, we certainly wouldn't want anything easy in the summer of 2020. But Psalm 68 is one of, the, one of those psalms that the more you read it, the more encouraging it becomes, the larger it seems it becomes, the grander it seems that it becomes. I've probably read this psalm 50 to 75 times over the last several months. Just reading it and marking and writing in the margin and circling things and underlining things and putting question marks on things and just just wrestling through this passage. And what we learn about Psalm sixty-eight is that it is a military psalm, not just any battle psalm, but it is a it is a military victory psalm. It is a psalm that was sung to commemorate a victory. It was a psalm that was sung to commemorate an accomplishment by a battle and by an army. In fact, over the decades, hundreds of years, Psalm 68 has been the very psalm that many have used after, victor- after victories on the battlefield. And I won't take the time to do it today, but I've read several occasions down through the last several hundred years in different battles, physical battles, where armies actually read this psalm or put this psalm to some kind of music because it speaks of being victorious in battle. But today, when we look at it from a New Testament perspective, we're not talking about physical battle. We're talking about spiritual battle. And I'm saying to you that when we battle against our enemies, that ultimately those battles are all spiritual and based on Ephesians 6, that we wrestle against powers and principalities, not flesh and blood. I want you to see what we can do with our enemies. We can trust them to God. So this psalm stands in a way like a victory song. And we can learn from this song about the, uh, the, the victory that is possible through God. And if I had to put just one sentence over this whole message, it would be this. You can trust your enemies to God. You're trying to figure out right now, I don't know what to do with the opposition. I feel like I am experiencing. Here's what I hope you walk away from this message with today. You know what? I can give those enemies over to God. I can trust God with these enemies. What does that look like? I want to show you from this psalm what it looks like to trust Our enemies to God what it looks like to let God handle our enemies this psalm in a a glorious way has already been read for us and so I'm not going to take the time to read throughout the entire psalm again but I will highlight some verses I want to break it out in three segments let me give you the outline before I ever walk all the way through it and I know uh, in seminary, you're told, don't ever give your outline before you preach it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it right now, I want you to see this. And when we answer this question, what does it look like to give our enemies to God? What does it look like to let God handle our enemies? It looks like this, it's us recognizing, number one, that there are attributes to celebrate. We'll come back through these, but let me just give them to you. It means that we recognize there are attributes to celebrate. Number two, there are actions to emulate. And number three, there is an ascension to appropriate. Number one, there, is, there, there are attributes to celebrate. When you read through the Psalms, one of the things that happens when you take all 150 Psalms is that you begin to see God revealed to you. We, we learn who God is. We learn his attributes. And one of the great gifts of the, this Old Testament hymn book is that it shows us over and over and over again through poetry the attributes of God, the character of God, who he is, how he operates, what he's capable of. And Psalm 68 is like that. We see as we read through this Psalm Of victory who God is we see his character we see his attributes I'd call your attention to several of these in this psalm we see that God is all-powerful it's in verse 1 he says God shall arise his enemies shall be scattered and those who hate him shall flee before him as smoke is driven away so you shall drive them away as wax melts before fire so the wicked shall perish before God those verses are the epilogue here, the beginning of the, the, the prologue here of this song. It is it is showing this is the God that you're dealing with. Who am I going to trust my enemies to? I'm going to trust them to a God that when He rises, enemies scatter. When, when He rises, those who hate Him flee from Him. The big religious word, the big O word there that is, means that God is all-powerful is the word omnipotent. We talk about God being omnipotent. That means that He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful over His enemies. Secondly, we see that Jesus, that, that, that God is a God of justice. When you look at these verses, what you find out is that God knows who the enemies are. The enemies know who God is. There are the righteous, there are the wicked, and the paints a picture here that ultimately, in the ultimate end of the battles of this world, that the righteous shall be glad and the wicked shall perish. He says, verse 2, As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exalt before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. It is a picture of the ultimate justice of God. And one of the things that happens when we give our enemies to God, when we trust them to God, we're allowing God to work His perfect justice. We're so limited. But God is allowed to work His perfect justice. Third, we see that God is compassionate. He's compassionate toward the vulnerable. Look in verse 5. Verse 5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. There are four categories there of those that are vulnerable. And we see in this passage that God is compassionate toward those that are vulnerable. That's an attribute of God. It's a characteristic of God. It's revealed to us here that that God is someone who is compassionate toward the fatherless. That's a reference to the orphan. That he is a protector of the widows. An example in their day of someone who is so vulnerable to evil all around them. It shows us in verse 6 that God settles the solitary in a home. Another translation uses the word lonely. Think about that today. Maybe even as you hear these verses, it may be no other reason that you would be uh, watching this message but simply to hear that the God you worship, and the God that has created you, is a God that is compassionate toward you in your loneliness. And then fourth, we see that he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. And it's a, it is a testimony of God's compassion toward the prisoner, one who has had everything removed from their life. No freedom, no possessions, a prisoner. A third characteristic, a third attribute of God, we see he's omnipotent, he's all powerful, he's compassionate. We see also that he's good. Like in verse 10, It says, your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. We've already sung of that this morning. God is good. God is so good. We have songs that come to mind when we sing about the goodness of God. And God shows this attribute and this characteristic by the way he treats those that are in need. He provides for them. We see in verse 19 next that God is an encourager another characteristic of God look at verse 19 blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up God is our salvation if you're going to memorize any single verse this summer from Psalms I want to exhort you to make it Psalm 68 19 blessed be the Lord he daily bears us up God is our salvation You see that God works as an encourager, a lifter of burdens, daily lifting burdens. Not occasionally, but every single day. His character, His attributes comes through as being someone who bears us up, lifts us up in the loads that we carry. Another attribute of God that we have to celebrate here is that God is our rescuer. He says, God is our salvation. Verse 20, our God is a God of salvation. Really, the story from Genesis to Revelation is the testimony of this is who God is. He is a rescuer. He is the God of salvation. He comes for those that are lost. He comes for those that are dying. He comes for those that are blind in their sin. And he comes to rescue, as we have sung, rescue the perishing. He's a rescuer of the lost and dying. We learn in verse 17, in verse 33, and verse 34, that he is, uh, he is majestic in the heavens. What kind of God is he? He's all-powerful. He's compassionate. He's just. He's good. He's an encourager. He's a rescuer. He is majestic. He is majestic in the heavens. Look, verse 17, the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands, and then Just look over to verse 33. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. He's also a God that is personal in his provision. Look at verse 35. It says, awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. These attributes that we see of God, we know them from his word. He's revealed himself to be majestic, personal, a rescuer, an encourager, good, compassionate, just. What do we do with those attributes? We celebrate them. We celebrate them. Uh, we don't just get a plaque and put them on a the wall. We don't just burn it into a piece of wood and hang it to decorate our house. These attributes are revealed to us to give us a reason and a way to celebrate who God is. And one of the beautiful pictures as you read through Psalm 68 is you begin to see that as God is revealed, uh, his character is advertised, the, the result that happens over and over again throughout this psalm is that there's this explosion of celebration. There's this exaltation. There's, there's singing. There's music. There's musicians. There's a procession. There, there are people making announcements and statements about who God is. And God reveals His power and His compassion and His goodness. You see in verse 4, 5, and 6, this uh, this result, verse 4, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. One of the things that happens when we give our enemies to God, we, ca- we take our eyes from looking at our enemies or our enemy, and we turn our eyes on God. We see who He is, and when we see who He is, we begin to praise Him. We begin to celebrate. We celebrate through singing. We celebrate through spoken word. We celebrate with our worship. We celebrate with our music. We celebrate in our, just in our, in our everyday walk of worship before Him. I don't know what your struggle might be like right now with your enemies. Maybe you've been overwhelmed by discouragement or fear or worry. Maybe some person somehow in your life has become the object of opposition in your life. I'll show you that the, the, what we do when we give our enemies over to God is that we begin. We, we, we turn our focus to who God is and we celebrate who He is and it takes our eyes off of who our enemy is. It talks, takes our eyes off of worry and fear and discouragement and depression. I learned several years ago, snow skiing, I just did it, it been really one time and I remember a teacher said, when you're going down the mountain, make sure that you look where you want to go, not at what you want to miss thought about, what are you you saying? He said, here's what's going to happen. If you keep looking at that tree when you're going by it, guess what you're going to hit? You're going to hit the tree. But if you'll look at the trail, if you'll look at what's ahead, that's where you'll go and you'll miss the enemy. You'll miss the tree. And that's what happens with us when we begin to focus more and more on who God is. When we begin to worship more and more of the character of God and the attributes of God and celebrate who God is, we miss the worry. We miss the fear. We miss the opposition. We miss the enemy. We, we have attributes to celebrate. And number two, let me show you. To trust our enemies to God, we we recognize that we have attributes to celebrate. But number two, we have actions to emulate. When we begin to worship God wholeheartedly, you know what the fruit of that is? It's action. It it, it affects our, our worship. Listen real quick. Our worship affects how we walk. And when our focus is on God and we're celebrating who God is, it impacts how we live. It impacts how we act. It impacts how we treat others. And the very attributes of God bear fruit in our life by by producing certain actions we begin to emulate who God is in our life we begin to reflect who God is we begin to advertise who God is through the actions of our life it's a simple illustration but years ago when uh, it was college days we loved to watch Michael Jordan play NBA basketball we've those in our late 40s and early 50s have been reminded of that recently through the documentary about Michael Jordan and the last dance and we would, we would watch it in college and we would see all the moves that he could make and I'm telling you every time it seemed like when we would watch him play some game on a Friday night it would lead to us 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at 12 o'clock going to an outdoor goal because we thought we just saw this incredible guy play the game and we would go out and we would try to play just like him. In fact, coaches will tell you that they can tell when they bring their kids into practice and they've been watching NBA players, they kind of have to work it out of their system because that's been their focus. Listen. We walk like who we worship. Uh, we we act like who we adore. And in our life, when we trust our enemies to God, it shows up in our actions. And we can tell who we worship by how we walk. So when you look at Jesus, when you look at God and you see who he is as being all-powerful, how does that show up in our actions? When we see that God is all-powerful, what that does, it allows us to stand with joy knowing that he is strong and able. We're not overwhelmed by the enemy because we know that we have a God that when he arises, enemies scatter. How does it affect our actions? When we see that God is compassionate toward the vulnerable, it's going to show up in our actions toward the vulnerable. It's going to show in how we treat the fatherless or the orphan. Our actions are going to show who we worship by how we protect widows. It's going to show in our actions who we worship by how we treat those that are lonely or in a solitary place of life. It's going to show in a very practical way even how we treat prisoners. Our actions emulate who God is. Know the term for that? You know the word for that? It's called, starts with a G, godliness, God-likeness. And as we worship God and we learn more and more who He is, we become more and more godly in our life because we are emulating the one we worship. We spoke of God being good. How does that bear fruit in our life? It bears fruit in our life by us providing for the needy. The the verse 10 says, In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. How does God most often provide for the needy? He provides through his people. And so you and I put uh, feet to the pavement. We, 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 We put effort in the hands to emulate who God is by providing for the needy. And we do that not out of a burden. We do that out of an overflow of the God that we love and worship and adore. We walk like the ones we worship. If we worship self, it'll show up in selfishness. He he says we talked about God being an encourager for the burdened. And so our actions emulating God are going to notice around us people who are carrying a heavy load in their life. It's one of the reasons for us to, to care so much as a church for those of uh, for, for African Americans in our church and in our community and in our society. If we look at them and we see there has been a, a heavy burden placed on their life, in some way we say, I want to look for a way, if there is some possible way to help bear the burden, help carry the load, emulating the God we worship, we want to help. Listen, We encourage the burdened by doing all sorts of practical things, praying, writing letters, making visits, taking a meal. Checking on somebody. We seek of God being a God of salvation. How does that show up in our actions? We participate in rescuing the perishing. We participate in sharing the gospel, taking the good news to the world, telling others about Jesus Christ. What are your actions showing about who you worship? Our praise fuels our practice. We walk according to who we worship. Our actions will emulate the attributes of God when we trust our enemies to Him. Number three, and finally, we recognize that there is an ascension to appropriate. Now, I want to call your attention. It's a verse here, verse 18. It says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. By the time this psalm was understood in New Testament days, It was a psalm that had already become understood as a prophetic psalm. As a psalm that was not just recording history of Israelite victories, but a psalm that was looking ahead to the ultimate victory of the Messiah who would reign forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know that because of reference in Ephesians. It'll take just a minute to, to go there. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, last week, Pastor Vic talked about unity in the church and he talked about these characteristics of gentleness and patience and humility, bearing with one another. Those characteristics that are needed in our life to maintain the unity of the church he had no way of knowing. I didn't realize it that when he was in Ephesians 4 that just following those verses would be the one reference to Psalm 68 in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul takes this verse from Psalm 68 verse 18 and he quotes it. In verse 8 he says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And there's some discussion about the translation there of what's going on with the gifts, but we're just basing it on how the Apostle Paul understood the verse. This is what we find out. Jesus Christ ascending to heaven was like the victory that was described by the king ascending to a place of victory in Psalm 68. Stay with me here for just another minute. In Old Testament prophecy, we know that the birth of Jesus, the birth of a Messiah was prophesied to be in Bethlehem. We know we talk about the birth of Jesus being that the Messiah would come born of a virgin based on Isaiah. We know that the Old Testament prophets predicted the resurrection of Jesus. We know that the the Old Testament predicted the death of Jesus. Do you know that the Old Testament predicts the return of Jesus and the rule and reign forever of the Messiah? Somehow, just a, a blink of the eye, we've missed the prophecy of the ascension of Jesus. And we easily, even in New Testament story, we go from the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, and we say, yeah, he ascended to heaven, and he's coming back. And just in a moment, we go immediately to the return of Christ. And the Apostle Paul causes us to pause for just a moment and say, wait, there is an ascension to appropriate. You see, when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, it was this picture of the king returning back home in victory. And it was him returning, having laid down the glory of heaven and taking on flesh and humility and bearing our sin and going to the cross and paying the price, atoning for the our sin. And Jesus rises guaranteeing that he was the Son of God. He makes his appearances before men, women, witnesses, and then he ascends. What did he do? Paul says he gave gifts. He gave gifts. And and in Ephesians 4, he tells us that he is given the gifts of apostles. Verse, Verse 11, he says, I gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, listen to this phrase, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, in our life, we face opposition. And the enemy wants to knock us down and defeat us and paralyze us and make us unable to grow, make us unable to effectively worship and live for Christ and he's saying don't forget the ascension don't forget that the king of kings came and won the battle against sin and he was buried and he rose again and he ascended to heaven he took his place on the throne and it is a and and in doing that he left for us gifts to grow to be equipped With the ultimate goal that the body would grow to a point to where we would be built up in love for one another and others. Appropriate the ascension of Christ, that ride of victory. And how does that play out? You see, we have been given gifts to the church. That's why we have pastors and teachers and evangelists. We've been given spiritual gifts as individuals for the building up of the body. We use our gifts. To bring glory to Jesus Christ. And as we each use our spiritual gifts, our body becomes whole, united, and complete in love for one another and others. We have enemies. May we just scratch the surface on this psalm. Just remember this. Fix your eyes on the attributes of God and celebrate who He is. Emulate Him. This summer, take these psalms. In all your reading, read the psalms. In all your singing, sing the psalms. In all your Texting, text the psalms. In all your posting, post the psalms. In all your praying, pray the psalms. Let this be a summer of psalms. And let it begin with us trusting whatever opposition we face to God. Celebrating His attributes. Emulating His actions. And then appropriating His ascension as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray together. Father, I bow before you right now. Ask you, Holy Spirit, that our actions, Lord, would more and more look like you. Lord, in the the burdens that we bear for those who carry heavy loads, in, in compassion toward the vulnerable, resting in your power, Lord, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and even using the gifts that you've given us for your glory. Lord, I pray that we would win and win and win and win against the enemies that try to discourage and defeat and overwhelm us. And Lord, I want to praise you right now that ultimately, when it's all said and done, because of you, Jesus, we will be able to gather around the throne and worship you forever. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We bless you, Lord, in your name. Amen.